Hello, you're listening to the GamesIntry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined by Matt Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, and Chris Drink. And we're going to be discussing just some of the biggest industry headlines from the past week. Headlines including MPD figures show that in January, despite the release of Kingdom Hearts 3, the Resident Evil 2 remake, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, and Ace Combat 7, US game sales fell by 19% year on year to $893 million. Sony is winding down PlayStation Vita production, with the firm's Japanese website warning that shipments are scheduled to end soon. In other PlayStation news, Media Molecule's Dreams will be the first PlayStation title to launch in early access. A limited version focused purely on creation will launch this spring. Google teased the GDC reveal, triggering much speculation about everything from a game streaming service to a Google console. Crackdown 3's launch at retail seems to have disappointed. Uh, the game didn't even make the top 10 in the UK weekly charts, but true achievement study of what Xbox owners are actually playing suggests it was the third most popular title of the week, only behind Fortnite and Apex Legends. Razer Games Store closes down after just 10 months as part of the company's realignment plans. Starbreeze's financials gave an insight into the poor performance of Overkill's The Walking Dead. The game generated just $3.7 million in its first two months. The console version has been delayed again, and Starbreeze itself has requested three more months of reconstruction to avoid insolvency. And finally, Epic Games sued the organisers of Fortnite Live, a company called Exciting Events, and that company has since shut down. The event garnered a lot of negative press for not providing enough activities to cater for his audience, and from what I've read, charging to play a free-to-play title that people already had on their phones. Well, perhaps the thing to start with then is Crackdown 3. Um, this was quite, I won't say hotly anticipated, maybe kind of anticipated with bated breath. Like It's a game that was announced, what, six, seven years ago? Long and seemingly troubled development, um, finally arrived, and yeah, I mean, obviously we only have the UK weekly charts to go by because no other market really does a weekly chart that you can kind of follow but it didn't even make top 10 which for a triple a game and a console exclusive and a platform holders you know own ip is pretty shocking yeah the actual statistic that people are running with is that it um accounted for 10 percent uh, 10 percent it's, it's, it's launch sales were 10 percent of what far cry um uh so far cry what uh crackdown 2 did so it was it was really bad but then yeah, we don't know how well it did, did we? Because we, we don't know digital sales. They don't know Game Pass sales. The industry still won't share its data. So they seem to be happy with the media saying that it that it failed. This, um, is, but, you know, up to this is the most frustrating thing about the Netflix of games uh, approach to me. Like we're, we're looking at this from the outside and we've got no clue as to how well it did. But like how how well do you think that the developers know how well their games do with when they're included in something like Game Pass, I mean Microsoft's—they're um, not talking to us. They're—I I don't think they're talking to the developers to really give them a good sense of, you know, how many, how many downloads and, and playthroughs and how much people played their game specifically. Well, they must know. I mean, Rare know how many people are playing Sea of Thieves, right? And they must—and they'll know where they came from, whether they came from. Right. Digital Xbox Live or whatever. But it, it's it's not we don't know the, the true value of of these games to the service. Only the service holder actually knows that. Um it's it's a step better than it's a step better than Spotify or Netflix, where the artists that created the content like don't actually know how many people watched or enjoyed it. Because um, like you say, Chris, we're doing the digital tracking with their their online mm. servers and everything but 
it's still it's still i think incredibly difficult for any individual publisher or any individual developer to know what the value of their game is in a in a package like that and all they're going to do is they're going to see when they're included like oh well we were in game pass on day one and we did 10 percent of the sales of what would have seemed like comparable titles coming out well i, I would i would imagine that we are going to hear from microsoft i mean the, the thing is they have they have definitely been eager to communicate player numbers around Sea of Thieves and Forza Horizon 4, which are both which are like kind of the two biggest exclusive titles um, of recent times, and they've, and they've given regular updates on player counts on both those things. I mean, Crackdown 3 hasn't been out for very long. Um, I can't really recall. I don't know if uh, you do, Chris, or you do, uh, James or Brendan. I, I remember them communicating some player count for Forza Horizon 4 pretty close to launch day. Like within a few days or within a week or something like that, saying two million people have played it. What I'm saying is, Netflix has gives no, has, well, famously has given no, no view, no is very is not at all transparent on how many people are watching what. I think that's changed a little bit in recent times, but historically they haven't been. I don't think we've seen that from Microsoft regarding Game Pass um, because they have been quite transparent when they've got something positive to talk about. When they've got a game that's doing good numbers, they, they, they come out and they say, this is how many people are doing it. They don't say sales versus downloads through Game Pass. They don't break it down in that way. But then, you know, Microsoft has been kind of averse to breaking down its figures in that way for an awful long time already. And that, that, that that's not limited to Game Pass. They've been, not been doing that with hardware for Yeah, and years. Xbox Live, they, they say, oh, we have this many million users. But they never really said if it was, you know, like the silver or gold you know, the, the unpaid, yes, I have a gamer tag mm-hmm. or the, the premium subscription service. So like that, that all kind of, you know, just goes to show that these, these companies will release numbers when it suits them. But I, I think in striking deals with companies to include games on the service, it doesn't suit them at all to have everyone knowing exactly how popular uh, the, the, the games the games are and, yeah. and what the value is to the service in in music they do count spotify streams so um uh, in the weekly charts in the uk anyway i'm pretty sure it's global they actually say like, I don't know, I think like five streams equals one sale or something 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 crazy like that so um they do count those and it's the industry the uk industry we're so backwards we just don't share information you, you talk about netflix that they're, they're a bit of an outlier but in film and tv yeah, people share they share everything. They even know what the budgets of these things are, right? So the, the, this is a how much money they spent to generate these amount of viewers or this amount of millions of dollars and in in box office revenue. And we don't even we don't even share. We share nothing. Um, and uh, you know, you, everyone knows how angry I get about that. Um, it, it, I think it would make such a massive difference to uh, our industry if we just shared. Yeah, anything. I just wonder. I did wonder as well for smaller studios. If um if if they knew if they knew how much money EA spent on Apex Legends, and they'll go actually you know what maybe we won't make a battle royale game, um, maybe we will go into a different genre because the data here says that actually there isn't that, that genre we thought was dead actually does have a small dedicated audience to it that we could really make the most of. Um, but yeah, it's uh, me just ranting about the same old things I always rant about um, the industry's lack of transparency and data sharing. It's frustrating, and it's been the same for. A decade or so, and yeah, you're absolutely right about Spotify and the, and the music streaming because their pay is based on the number of streams. It's it's very early here, uh, and I am tired, so I apologize for that. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I was just, I was just, I was giving an example. Basically, I'm just criticising the games industry by comparing it to other industries who do so much better, like Spotify. Yeah, TV's not as good, but, um, but, uh, uh, but you know, the worst thing about it, we talk about Crackdown Three doing badly. We always knew they were, they were Far, far Cry did badly as well. And we always knew in the UK anyway, in a box. But we always knew they were going to struggle because there were four games out in the same week, which we wrote about, I don't know, four months ago. Um, and with a seemingly massive one available the following week in the form of Anthem. Yeah. Well, well, I, I suppose, but, the, the, but then oh, it's, it's, it just seems really, really odd to even be talking about the sales of Crackdown. And it's on Game Pass and it's an exclusive yeah. to Xbox One and so on and so forth. Like I, I, I just feel like this, this, is, this is a release where you can kind of say it doesn't really matter that it sold 10% of Crackdown to because that's kind of not the point anymore. No. It's what Brendan's saying. Like it's... The whole, the whole relevance of, of what what it's sold and who's who's kind of playing it has been sort of subsumed by Microsoft's larger strategy. Like it's, you know, it doesn't really matter what it's going up against anymore. That's a sort of a, yeah. that's an older way of thinking about how games are released. That the, the game part, there's something like Game Pass and what Microsoft's doing with Project X Cloud is going to fundamentally challenge. I guess the if you if you look at Netflix as a, as a comparison, I mean. Netflix is far, far more concerned about like owning things like social media when a when a new product hits. It's yeah, and, and it can just and it can talk about numbers whenever it sees fit. It's, it's not really like who how many people watched it day one. They wouldn't mind if but it what it wants to do is it wants to own the conversation. It wants to wants to dominate other things, not just uh, it because it just doesn't operate in the world of copies sold and you know tickets sold and that kind of thing. Oh, you know, you're right. I mean, I think with Crackdown 3, because, it, because it's available via a different business model, it doesn't matter so much. I mean, it matters more to Far Cry, and it will matter more to Metro, and to lesser extent Jump Force, that all came out in the same week. I just, I still don't get, I still, I do understand how it happened, actually, because they all looked at, they probably looked at all the games that came out at Christmas, and they went, you know, Red Dead and Fallout and Smash Bros and Spider-Man and Just Cause and all the other usual suspects, and they went, well, we're going to avoid them. When should we release it? Well, January's a bit too early, and March is too close to the end of the financial year. Let's go for February, and everyone have the same idea. But you don't get this in any other industry. You don't get any other... You don't get... Um, you don't get uh, can you imagine going to, um, uh, going to like, a uh, Comic-Con, say, and um, it's a Disney conference. You don't know what Disney are going to announce. It's just a Disney conference. And J.J. Abrams turns up on stage... And the room goes wild. He reveals a new Star Wars trailer. And he says, Star Wars, out December 19th, 2019. And then the next day, there's a Warner Brothers conference. And they, the Batmobile bursts onto the stage. And Jake Gyllenhaal jumps out. He's the new Batman. It's amazing. It's amazing. New Batman movie, out December 19th, 2019. And then the, then James Bond comes to Parasites in the Shade. You get, you get what I'm saying? It wasn't happening. I do get what you're saying. I, I don't think that the... I, don't, I think you're flattering Crackdown 3 <laughs> by comparing it to Star Wars <laughs> no, so Crackdown 3 seems like the sort of game that would have been sent out to die yeah. under and the old the, With game... Like, like, so, so basically Microsoft didn't care when it was released because it knew what it had was an average game on its hands that wouldn't really do anything in the market anyway. So basically it becomes fodder for Game Pass and I think that's almost like the bigger, the bigger issue here is what, what does Game Pass do to the whole perception of like how good a game needs to be now? Because Crackdown 3... Does strike me as exactly the sort of thing that Microsoft would have canned two I, years I will ago, say, oh. and Microsoft did can projects two years ago. You know, the the, the people were really eager to see Scalebound being the obvious. I example. want to point out real quick one thing about the film industry and the the release dates is 
a lot of times you wind up with something where like the release date is is claimed by a studio before the this project has actually been announced so you'll have like yeah. untitled marvel mm-hmm. movie july 4th 2022 or whatever oh yeah um and there's there's that sort of visibility about like oh well here's we're gonna have a tentpole release at this day so everyone else kind of back up a week mm-hmm. or two and in, oh, in right. games that would just be i i would love to see that because i think it would just be completely bizarre to have e3 no, exactly. no, I... end with like and one more thing we're gonna have something october 23rd <laughs> well no but no but that's actually i know that oddly i've brendan i know we've talked a little bit about sort of transparency and i actually think uh, as in letting the consumers know what exactly what they're buying and a lot of the times and i always said it in the way the games industry is at the moment it's really hard for developers to tell people what they're getting you've got it recently with vondahar being criticized for um call of duty loot boxes and he's saying you said there weren't going to be any and he was like yeah well, you know i didn't think there would be at the time Whereas if we move into the model of the movie industry, because the movie industry finishes their films so far in advance that sometimes they can reshoot the whole movie and still get it out in time for their release date. It's, it's mad. I can't believe that industry works like that. We don't. And I, and I think that way you could get into a situation what Sean Layden was saying. Can, a, can E3 become less about announcements and more about Comic-Con? Well, not as it is right now, but if you all started announcing you've got an untitled Naughty Dog game out in September 2019, four years ago, and then no, telling everybody to avoid putting your game out in September, your horror game out in 2019, in September 2019 or whatever. And then you could turn up to E3 three or four months before with an almost finished game or a finished game, well, show it to the press like a panel, like a comic, actually tell people exactly what's in the game, what's going to come out after the game's launch. I think that would be uh, a complete transformation of how the AAA game Yeah, that sounds ideal, but it would rely it would cool. on AAA being able to say four years in advance, we're going to have this game out on that day <laughs> instead of the habit of pushing it two months here, three months there, a year there, and half of those delays are all internal, right? We never hear about them because they were never announced a release date anyways. Whereas movies, it seems like they just, they have their stuff together. It's more predictable. They know when they're going to launch. Well, it's tied to the way movies are made and what movies are. Like, you can't, there is no direct comparison to be drawn between film and games because games are more iterative. The problems are, are not, it's not possible to foresee them in the same way that the process of creation is less structured. I genuinely think you could give yourself six years to make a game and you'd still need six and a half or two years to make the same game. You'd need two and a half. Like, you know, I don't think you'd ever make it work that way. Cause I don't think making games works that way. Um, this is something I've come across again and again, like in interviews, you know, just this idea that when people talk about things like eradicating crunch, it's just like, that's, so so hard because like so much in making games is unforeseeable you know the unforeseeable outcome of making a game with all these different systems the way they crash together and all of a sudden you've got another six months of dev on your hands you didn't realize you had film doesn't have to deal with that music doesn't have to deal with that so on and so forth yeah Mm. yeah it's it's more complicated i mean i I remember i interviewed guillermo about five years ago and he said we, we want to get into the situation like the movie industry where a game is finished six months before we launch it and we can spend the whole six months launching it properly. And um, he, he was saying that and then Unity happened. And then, and it's like, well, he, uh, the idea is great. Yeah, I know in practice it's, it's not necessarily so realistic, but it would be cool if we ever get to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's weird because like, I, I didn't think, you know, for me, like the, the thing with Crackdown was not, was it released on the right day? Or right time or you know did it get the right window 
because Crackdown, I, I did the Critical Consensus article about it, and for, for listeners who don't know Critical Consensus, where we kind of assess the way a game has been reviewed and the circumstances in which it has been reviewed. And one of the really striking things about Crackdown is there's like one 7 out of 10, one 2 out of 10, and then literally every single review is a 5 or a 6. Like, it, it, it's not divisive. It hasn't divided anyone. Everybody has exactly the same opinion on it. It's just, this game isn't, you know, it's sort of, it's inoffensive and bland, um, which is kind of not what you'd really expect to see from, from the series Crackdown, which was kind of, I suppose it rose to prominence on being anything but bland. Um, so I, I just feel like that's, is that a game that ever would have sold in great quantities, regardless of when it was launched or, or whatever? Because, I mean, I know reviews don't dictate don't dictate how well a game is going to sell, but there is a there is a vague correlation between how well a game scores and, and ultimately whether it sells well or not. Which is to say, a game that basically gets mostly fives and sixes out of tens, they rarely do millions of copies. I think another thing that was against crackdown in terms of in terms of how people would perceive how well it launched was the expectation because it was announced so early going back to what we were saying about um you know when should titles be announced how finished should they be before you announce them you know it was announced it you know what six seven years ago it can only have been in the earliest like concept sort of stages when it was announced case in point when they announced it they were going on about how you know cloud based computing will allow for massive destructible environments which is now currently one multiplayer mode because they've clearly realized that that isn't as attainable as they had had once hope, hoped you know more than half a decade ago but but we don't know what's happened behind the scenes we don't know how many times if you know if if it has been brought back to the drawing board so people are reviewing a game that people have been waiting for and know have been in the works for 6 7 years but if the actual final product has only been built, you know, actually in development, you know, and was as re, you know, was scrapped and restarted two years ago, does that lend it a bit more favour? I mean, you know, Nintendo last month announced that, yeah, you know, right, Metroid Prime Four is is been taken back to the drawing board, um, you know, so we know that, you know, when 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 that comes out, when it is reviewed, people are automatically going to lop off the first two years of um, of expectation because they know that those two years have been scrapped completely. Um, to use an example that's always close to my heart, the 2014 reboot of Thief, that was announced, that was easily about six, maybe even nine years before it was actually released. Um, and then from what I've heard, the game was actually only in development for about 18 months because they, were, because they had to start over all over again you know, so often. So, Are you suggesting, though, that, that reviewers are swayed by... How long a game has been in development, or that they cut a game a break if they know not that just it's reviewers, had a but I, th- I think I think consumers as well, like in, in terms of how how excited they are, how much they how much they rave about it on on social media and so forth. I, I think I think everyone to an extent, if you know if you have been waiting for a product for a certain number of years, whether you are a reviewer or a, or a consumer, I think to an extent you have that many years amount of expectation, unless you know otherwise. But I don't think consumers know other. I don't think consumers know otherwise necessarily. We know all of this stuff. We know it intimately. But to say that you know, a fan of Crackdown One is aware that Crackdown Three has been through four different dev studios. I, I think that's a pretty big assumption there. And I actually just think they they well based on what I've read about Crackdown Three, and I haven't played the game. You know, disclosure on that. But based on what I've read about Crackdown Three, 
it kind of wouldn't make much. I don't, I don't think people are being down on it because it's had troubled development or because of the weight of expectations. I think they'd be, it seems like they're being down on it just because it's not particularly good. Uh, well, I think expectations are absolutely a primary factor in shaping how you feel about something. And this is why I've always kind of wanted a a review system based not on one through 10 or anything like that, but based on like what the reviewers expectations were heading into it. Because I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen something that was like legitimately great, but for some reason I had, you know, I had been led to believe by everyone around me, like this is some sort of transcendent thing. And then when I play it and I'm like, Oh, this is just great. It's like, it's actually disappointing and I'm kind of down on it. And at the same time, how many times I've seen something like from software's Ninja Blade, I guess is my go-to example of this, where I had no expectations. I, I saw a trailer for it maybe and thought it was like, oh, that looks like total crap. And then I actually play it and it's like, wow, this is completely different and weird and unique. And and that leaves such a, a you know, just more positive impression. And the way I talk about it is more positive. And, and I think... Even if you don't, you know, follow the the day to day, year to year, you know, drama of a troubled project, just knowing that there's a crackdown three out there and like, oh yeah, they've been talking about that for years. That was, wow, okay, and you know, never never having it kind of become like that most hyped thing that everyone is completely stoked about, but just having it on the back burner this whole time, it's it doesn't help it at all. I'm not saying it's actually a secret gem, but uh, I, I do think that expectations are shaped by a bunch of different stuff, and they are absolutely relevant to to the way people feel about these games. Well, of course, but I, I, I don't think that the average consumer has the same kind of expectations that a reviewer has. I mean, I think, I think journalists get a bit too inside baseball about this stuff. I think we forget that there's an enormous gulf between the way a reviewer thinks about games and the way a normal gamer thinks about games. Um, just because we're we're privy to loads of information that doesn't doesn't make it through. Most people that buy games, at least that buy them in mass quantities that these AAA titles demand, that that this information isn't known. So yeah, I do agree that someone will say, "Oh, look, another crackdown game," and they've been talking about that for ages. But do they know what Sumo Digital is? I would sincerely doubt it. And, I, and, I, and do they know what Cloud Gin is? And do they know what, who Dave Jones is? And do they know that Epic now owns Cloud Gin? And all, all of this kind of stuff, right? So maybe they were paying attention for all these cloud promises, but we kind of follow that stuff more closely. So we, we, we constantly remind ourselves of all that stuff. I would imagine that most people that approach Crackdown 3 would just go, oh, Crackdown 3, there hasn't been a Crackdown game in ages. That does inform the way that they play it, but I'm not sure... Actually, to be honest, I think I think this ties to the fact of does that even matter on a service like Game Pass when you don't when you don't really need to be invested in something? Yeah, it matters a lot less when you're putting down money for it. Yeah, one of the one of the reviews I read, the Telegraph review, had a really good line in it, which basically says that Crackdown Three plays like a game, plays like a game that was never meant to be bought. Um, there's a Quite, quite a loaded comment, but it is quite suggestive of something that's designed to be disposable in a way that AAA games rarely are these days. AAA games are awash with systems and busy work and things to do and all of this. And Crackdown 3 apparently is kind of a refresh, refreshingly like, ten, like games were 10 years ago, which I 
I think you have to question whether or not that was in the design document, whether that's just something that Microsoft is happy enough with now that it's got a service like Game Pass and all it needs to do is, I don't know, similar thing to something like Bird Box on Netflix, which is an objectively average film. I actually thought it was terrible, but it was still watched by tens of millions of people. I guess historically then, like Crackdown has always been a game that like is not necessarily meant to be this is the game that everyone's going to you know that, that's going to take over everyone's time you know the original famously was you know part of the reason it sold was because it had the Halo 3 beta and then people discovered oh hang on this game that I bought for the Halo 3 demo is actually quite fun you know I think the the plan this time round you know advance however many years it you know you, you know, sign up to Game Pass. Oh, I remember Crackdown. I'll give Game Pass a go. Give that a go. Oh, there are other games that are also good. Yeah, and you, I, I love what you said about Scalebound, and or, or I read about Scalebound. Would that would that get cancelled? I think you said that, Matt. In today's world, I do wonder if Microsoft, because you look at all those one of those things. I'm a fan of Rare, obviously, and there was all those games that Rare cancelled. Although you know they did that Rare replay, where they did all these games that were working on them, they just cancelled. I do wonder if Microsoft would cancel anything these days. Yeah, if it can go into Game Pass and be a five out of ten, it could be an altered carbon uh, uh, for the service, and they go, oh, you know, it's a piece of content. Why waste two years worth of work? Let's just put it out. You know, something for people to play. Who cares if it doesn't hit the, if it doesn't tell, sell tens of thousands in a box? Uh, yeah, might be changing. Yeah, well, by going into streaming, Microsoft is entering the volume business, and not in the volume of copies sold, but in the volume of games that it can put on its service and. I don't think anyone who subscribes to Netflix can necessarily say that results in loads and loads of yeah. quality content. It actually just involves involves lots and lots and lots of filler. Uh. And I'm not saying Crackdown Three is filler. I, I really like Crackdown One. Crackdown Two had its problems. I'd like to play Crackdown Three. But I can't actually imagine there's any other circumstance now, now that I know it's on Game Pass. I would even want to play Crackdown Three. You know, like it. It feels like it would pass an evening very in, in an entertaining fashion. On a service that costs ten dollars, we're going to get a lot of uh, digital equivalents to those like third tier stand up specials from second tier comedians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, streaming is a that, yeah. I I can just see uh, it's going it's a content war going on out there. You know, Epic is trying to sign games. Google will be trying to sign games. Um, Xbox for the Game Pass will be trying to sign games. There's going to be a big battle for content. It's a good time to be a developer. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> you say about the uh, the content war, as you say, like every everyone is trying to to gain the content, and you know, you mentioned Google there. That nicely br- brings us into you know the the GDC reveal. Like they they've teased something. It's almost certainly got to be streaming related. I assume at, uh, at GDC, like they, they they've been building up to delivering a, a streaming service obviously they did that test with um uh ubisoft last year um, what are you guys expecting from that so i think this is um absolutely the unveiling of their streaming service possibly their uh streaming console that was reported to be in the works last year um so the the gdc keynote invite that they sent out it was just this this tease of like you know an image of a door at the end of a hallway and blinding white light and then like saying everything will be revealed and and that was it so you know it's google it could be anything to do with games i guess but then um after the invites got sent out 
the we got an email from Google's, uh, the guy who had been the head of communications for Project Stream, which was that Ubisoft Assassin's Creed Odyssey test where you could stream it into Chrome and play the, play the game in a browser. And apparently it worked pretty well for the people that were in the test. Um, and he was just saying, like, you guys have all your, your invites for that GDC thing uh, for the keynote. So I'm, you know, he could have been moved to a different project or maybe he was just reaching out because he had previously worked with us at different companies. But, you know, like that, that seems pretty strongly suggestive, I think, that this is a streaming based thing. Like what they're announcing is the evolution of that Assassin's Creed Odyssey project stream test. And yeah, at this point, it's really hard to imagine what Google would do in the games industry if it wasn't a streaming service. Like I, I struggle to imagine what it could possibly be because they're, they're going to be interested on a platform level, I can't imagine they're really going to be announcing, you know, then their own internal crop of studios. I mean, maybe there'll be an element of that, but that would only be as an accompaniment to a streaming service. But it seems like this is this is the play for Google as one of only a handful of companies in the world that could even like really seriously undertake a mass market streaming proposition for games. It's them, it's Amazon, it's Microsoft. Beyond that, no one's really got the service. So I guess the question is, like, what type of games do we expect them to stream? As we say, like, they previously tried it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is quite clearly, you know, AAA, high-end video game. Um, and it was in browsers. If I remember, the test was in browsers, but, like, there's nothing to stop them bringing it to... Um, to mobile devices, for example, but like, could the, could they start smaller than we expect with streaming mobile games? So obviously, um, that Rovio spin-off Hatch was trying to spin, uh, uh, sorry, trying to stream premium mobile games, like things like Monument Valley and stuff like that. Could Google start small with that, or do we think they're going to launch in with the Ubisoft, the Activision, the EAs, that that level of game? Yeah, I think they like it would be kind of disappointing if they just started small. Like they can use the the mobile stuff, I think, to kind of pad out a catalog offering, um, and all of this kind of also calls into question like what sort of interface they expect you to use. Like if you're just going to use it on your phone anyways, or if it hooks up to your your TV and you use a control pad. Like there's some some logistical issues there, but like I think if especially after the Assassin's Creed Odyssey test, if they don't kind of come forward with, you know, here are some AAA offerings, um, then I think that's that's a problem for them. And does this kind of dovetail into the Epic Valve distribution fight? Because the streaming services need content to sell them. Game Pass has Microsoft first party, but, like, what is Google going to have if not third-party exclusives? Yeah, I think that, that's got to be part of the... That's got to be part of what they're announcing. If not... We've bought up a bunch of studios to make content for this service. Then at the very least, some sort of exclusive level content that will make their service stand out. Because one one advantage Microsoft has, it's already got 250 plus games on Game Pass. And it can put up most of those itself. You know, like it's got a big back catalogue of games. It's big into backwards compatibility. But Google is going from a standing start. And I, I, I agree with Brendan that it would be very, very disappointing if they weren't. Looking at providing, I mean, because the, the promise of streaming is these high end, sophisticated games without the need for the hardware. That's what streaming really is for. 
streaming mobile games, fair enough, but it's not like mobile. mobile most mobile games are designed to be playable on on as wide a range of handsets as possible. So it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't provide a unique use case in the way that playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey does. But the idea of playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey on a mobile phone is absolutely horrifying, though. So I would imagine we're looking at something that does work on a yeah, TV. And also, like with the the <laughs> Xbox streaming thing, you saw what being in game pass did to the the physical sales of of crackdown um so like what is what is being in a google streaming thing going to do for the physical sales of any third-party game that is included in there like i doubt ubisoft wants to put the next assassin's creed into some you know twenty dollar uh google offering like that so either google's going to have to pay enormously up front or they're going to have to like find super conservative publishers that are willing to trade like, okay, we'll guaranteed make our money back and maybe slightly more uh, against yeah, like having I, any upside at all. I remember when I talked to you a long time ago, I had a chat with Andrew House at E3 and I spoke to him about PlayStation Now and he said, Chris, business model doesn't really work. And it's because, yeah, if you're, you're not, if you're take two, you don't put Red, uh, Grand Theft Auto 6 into a streaming service and accept, take a cut of a seven night, you know, $10 a month um, uh, fee. I mean, you're going to want to, you're selling that for $60 in a box. Why would you, why would you do that? And that's the thing. I mean, Xbox's advantage is content. They've got loads of it and they're going to keep making it and they're buying more studios to keep making it. And I think if you're going to launch a streaming service, that's the thing with Google. Google need to be in it for a long haul and they need to be willing to invest lots and lots of money. And um, I've seen company, we've all seen big companies that come into games saying that we're going to make an impact in games. And then they have a senior management restructure like three, four years down the line. And suddenly games isn't an important thing anymore. Um, I can see, um, I'm surprised Xbox have got this far, to be honest. Um, uh, But so I'm I'm a little bit more sceptical about what Google are going to do. I know they've got the technology. It's just whether or not they've got the the desire to get all the content. So do they acquire a big pu- a big publisher or a big big time developer to make games specifically for them do they get into that first party game but when, when i think about yeah when i think about what's so interesting about microsoft it's it's less the very fact that they're doing streaming i, I like the idea that team ninja and obsidian's next game is going to be made with relative security and that maybe this is a service that can you know obviously there's huge concerns about the way these games how, well, the visibility of how well these games do in terms of being played. There's, there's concerns about how, how developers will, will, will receive money and, and how these games will be monetized, all of that stuff. But I like the idea that Obsidian's next game might might have the ability to be a little bit weird, might have the ability to, to kind of mess up a few things and still actually see the light of day. I mean, I, I think that any streaming service that truly wants to compete is going to have to buy up a few studios. I think yeah, you have to... You have to demonstrate that kind of long-term commitment because otherwise, what is Google going to do? Because it's absolutely correct; they're not going to get GTA, GTA Seven, Eight, Nine, whatever on, on their service because that would deplete Rockstar sales massively. What it's probably going to be is without their own in-house studios. Isn't it just going to be deals for back catalog titles from every publisher out there, which are probably going to be on every other streaming service as well? But then I don't. I wouldn't mind if it's too much back catalog stuff because the games is this weird in you know this weird medium where back actually back catalog nine times out of ten is limited to the last three or four years you know 
films, books, music, whatever, you can listen to stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s with no problems at all. There's all these barriers to entry with games, so maybe streaming services are the ways that, yeah, you can just dip in and play all those classics that you missed out on or haven't played for a while. I, I don't mind backwards compatibility too much in, in streaming, I guess. Yeah, but I can't see Google taking taking to a stage in a dedicated G- no. keynote with GDC <laughs> yeah. and saying, hey, we've got Bioshock 2 on our service, you know. Like, no, I, think, I think they're going to have to come out with a, with, with a fairly confident showing in terms of content, not just we're Google, we have a streaming service, and you can play indie games. Because this, this is the other thing with Google. Google's very invested in the idea of opening up the world to stuff. So then it could be that what they're actually thinking about is, is, a serve, is something that applies just as much to countries like India and regions like Latin America as it does to anywhere else. Like it's not like this is, it's, it might not be, this is an alternative to Project X Cloud or whatever Microsoft doing. It's like, this is this is the streaming service for everybody. Um, but even so, I mean, the whole thing with streaming is you don't, it, it doesn't matter what the hardware is anymore. Like you can play any game anywhere. So I still think it needs to have some sort of distinctive content offering. Uh, I, I don't know how you compete in a global games industry without it. That's a super long-term vision, though. I mean, we're we're talking right now the infrastructure for streaming of games, like even in the states, is you know there's plenty of places where people live that they are not going to be able to play these games at a at a you know worthwhile quality level. Uh, so there's, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there before before you have a truly global offering uh for something like game streaming yeah true but then i guess we we need to close the loop like we're saying that it would be disappointing if G- if the gdc reveal wasn't something along the lines of being able to play assassin's creed odyssey streaming but we're also saying that there's big chunks of america where that wouldn't even be possible yep <laughs> this is a hard problem and it's not our <laughs> yeah, problem to figure out true, we are the press. Mm-hmm. It's it's our job to just kind of point at stuff and say, "What about this?" That doesn't seem like it's going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it is too early. Maybe it's not going to work. Um, I, I would be surprised. I would I would be I would be disappointed if G, if if GDC didn't involve Google getting up there and saying we have some capacity to produce unique content for our service. If indeed it is a streaming service, and that content would have to would have to be enough to kind of stand as a rival to any other streaming service being developed out there, which means it's got to be looking on that kind of similar sort of level that, game, that Microsoft has been doing with its acquisitions. Well, the other... It's not necessarily a big story, because it's a small story in an ongoing saga, and saga is the appropriate word, I think, for this. But it's actually Starbreeze just published its financial, its full-year financial report for 2018, um, which I wasn't even sure it would have to do, it could do, or it was going to do, because it's undergoing reconstruction, and, and very often companies don't have to do full reporting, depending on where they're listed. Um, but the revelation it had was that between, I think it was November 6th, which is when Overkill's The Walking Dead was released, and the end of the accounting period on the 31st of December, the total revenue it made from the Walking Dead game was about $3.5 million, which is 
unbelievably small amount for a game that probably costs well north of 50 million. Um, could be one of the bigger flops I've ever heard of, actually, in the industry. Um, and it just kind of speaks to, yeah, what went wrong with Starbreeze, I suppose. They had their entire company riding on this game for it to flop so hard. Um, I don't know, I know, Chris, you, you follow retail quite closely. Can you think of can you think of a, comp- a game that's, that's done comparably badly as that? I don't know, Starlink probably was pretty bad. Um, um, I don't, yeah, it's... It's difficult to know how much. It depends. Yeah, inventory tends to be the big thing. But um, well, I think you've been Matt. You've been keeping an eye on Starbreeze for like what must be a year ago when you first said uh, we might keep an eye on this. This looks like trouble. And um, and um, yeah, it's exactly as it's turned out. Um, relying on one product really, and that's always terrifying because if puts too much pressure on everything um, but, um yeah they invested a lot in that didn't they like and it got to the point it was not just like vr games but didn't weren't they even making like their own platform and then like vr location-based amusement yeah things they, they bought yeah star vr yeah they, they yeah star vr and they teamed with they teamed with imax for uh on on location-based entertainment vr arcades basically and it it just they always seemed like a um an unusual choice for a developer to go public to me and i i guess maybe they were yeah well they they actually also bought a toys to life studio back when that was a big thing called geminos i think the name was la-based company but a lot of these acquisitions, they didn't cost very much. You know, I think Gemini's was a couple of million. Star VR was only a few million. And considering the amounts of money that, that you know, Oculus was sinking into its headset and HTC was sinking into its headset, it always seemed like an unbelievably ambitious thing. And I mean, we, we've, Starbreeze is notable as being, I don't know, the most elusive company for years in terms of giving us an interview. I must have requested an interview with Starbreeze you know, three or four times over the past three or four years. And there were time, There was a time when those interviews were requested because I thought Starbreeze was looking like one of the most exciting companies in the games business because they were making all of these investments. Now, it's not to say that all these investments look like good investments. It's just that they were they were putting it out there. You know, they were, they were in VR, they were in Toys to Life, they were they were publishing Payday, and they were they were looking at games. They were looking into games as a service and all of this kind of stuff. And, there would have been positive stories to tell at that point in time, or at least hopeful stories to tell. But And I always wondered why they were so reluctant to talk about anything. But I think what it probably boiled down to is the fact that they were realised that they were rolling the dice in four different directions at once. And they didn't really want to talk about it until at least one of those bets had paid off. But as it turned out, the bottom fell out of Toys to Life before they even got a chance to get a product out. The R market stalled or at least grew far less far grew at a slower pace than anybody was anticipating. And then they, they had to back out of that at some point. I think they, they sold their share in that business to, God, who were they partnered with again? I forget. It's um, electronics company, regardless. Um, and, yeah, and, the, and they were also investing in other projects, you know, and, and good projects, exciting projects, Psychonauts 2, System Shock 3. But, you know, now, we have, now we're in a position where 
System Shock 3's rights have been sold back to other side entertainment at probably a very favourable rate, you'd have to say. And I don't really know what the status of Psychonauts 2 is, but you know those yeah. companies threw their lot in with the wrong with the wrong group of people. Well, I'm glad that um, other side has System Shock 3 back. Um, that they bought it back suggests that they have a, a plan to actually make it through to release now. Um which which is good and with psychonauts i was i was at dice last week um in vegas and i I spoke with tim schaefer um of of double fine about it and he i don't have the the thing transcribed yet so this is paraphrasing uh but he basically said like it's it's not make or break for them that starbreeze relationship like if if starbreeze collapsed tomorrow that's definitely not good for them but um between between the investment from from fig and uh what else they have going on they should be able to get the game out okay without it um and that's well it looks like and that's like the the reassuring thing for me one because um double fine has gone through so much suffering with their publishing partners over the years um, I'm just happy that like if Starbreeze is collapsing, that it's not, or it's you know that it's not as likely to take down these other partners that it has with it. Yeah, but it looks like when Starbreeze eventually emerges from this reconstruction, if it emerges from this reconstruction, is basically going to be where it was four years ago, which is it is the publisher payday. That's it. That, that seems to be the only part of its business that's still there. In fact, the, the financial report was notable for the fact that, um, I guess, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but Payday's contribution to their sort of Q4 earnings was around 60 to 65% of what Overkill's The Walking Dead contributed. Now, obviously, Overkill's The Walking Dead contributed only a few million dollars, but, but you know that's a brand new game, and it shows that, Payday is still there, still turning over a few million a quarter for them. Um, whether or not they can, re- whether or not Starbreeze can rebuild itself around that revenue, and well, you know, because there's a, pay- a new Payday. Payday three is in development, and if it can get to that, because you imagine that if it's got a chance of releasing a hit game ever again, Payday three is hugely promising in that regard. Because if anyone goes onto the website and looks at Starbreeze, uh, reporting on Starbreeze over the years, Payday was like 90% of all of its revenue for about two or three years there. And it was kind of waiting to get to this point where it would be releasing these other games. You know, the raid from Lion, Lion Game Lion was apparently not, not a great game at all. And that bombed and Overkills and Walking Dead seems to have bombed as well. But I think what it, but, but it obviously is never going to get to the point where it's putting out Psychonauts and putting out System Shock 3. And putting out Payday Three, and maybe, you know, if if Overkill's The Walking Dead had had hit or had found an audience or had not been literally two years after the peak of the IP on which it's based, maybe maybe it would be a different story around Starbreeze. Maybe they they would be looking like a pretty exciting indie publisher, or not indie because it's listed, but you know what I mean. I'm optimistically hoping because they've applied for three more months of reconstruction. I am optimistically hoping that they'll they'll get it because they, you know they've they've already kind of made strides to kind of cut their costs. They've um, like I say sold the rights back to to recoup some money. So I think I think they've shown that they're doing their their damnedest. And I believe I read that the uh, I reported that the um, the administrators who's been assigned to them has 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 supported. Yep, absolutely. These guys should get three more months 
rather than saying no just scrap them now if they get these extra three more months yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they, i imagine it will be all hands on deck for payday three and they'll prioritize that the question is whether payday three like if, if that fails then that is almost certainly the end for starbreeze right yeah well there wouldn't really be any reason to carry on i mean they don't have no. a big ip stable they've sold off what IP they have had, because they, they, they had Dead by Daylight as well, we forget that, they sold that back to Behaviour Interactive, um, and that was, that was doing well for them, that was the only game in like two years that, that contributed anything like the money that Payday was to the, to the bottom line, but they sold that off, and I always thought that was a really unusual move, but as it turned out, I think it's because it just didn't have any money coming in from anywhere else. And another notable thing about Starbreeze's investor relations page is every couple of weeks you check there and they've done another new share sale. So they were just kind of diluting the value of the company over and over and over again, selling more and more and more shares um, just because there was no cash flow. Um, or at least it, that, that's kind of what it appears to be. And that's all backed up by how quickly the whole thing folded when Overkill's The Walking Dead didn't didn't hit so i think the question is now can it get to payday three i mean it's already i think it's seems to have sort of offloaded the payday mobile game to universal in, in a deal that kind of went through a couple of weeks ago so i think that's pretty much might be the only the only project left on the books now okay that is all we've got time for thank you so much for joining me guys we'll be uh, back next week discussing more headlines in the meantime you can find all previous episodes on your favorite podcast provider and of course you can get your daily dose of news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you.